Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. My name is Brian Kiley. It is a new year and change is in the air. So on this episode of Engaging Culture, I'm joined by Bridgeway's missional community coordinator, Heather Johnson, who is also an associate certified life coach and board certified life coach, Asha Joseph. We will be talking about how to create lasting change. Why is it so difficult to make real changes in our lives? What are some obstacles that make change difficult? What are some practical strategies we can use to make change that lasts? These questions and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Engaging Culture podcast. Happy New Year to you, or if you're listening to this in like March or April... Still, Happy New Year to you. Uh, Glad to have you with us. We're very excited about this episode, talking about how to create lasting change. I'm joined today by my colleague, Heather Johnson. Heather, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. How how are you liking the studio so far? (laughs) It's great. It's great. Okay. Uh, And then also joined by board-certified life coach, Asha Asha Joseph. Asha, hi. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you for for coming in and, and being with us. Now, both of you have a background in life coaching. Uh, Asha, you're currently practicing as a, as a board-certified life coach. Can you tell us a little bit, for maybe for those who haven't experienced uh, life coaching before, tell us a little bit about what life coaching is, what a life coach does, and how it, how it might differ from other forms of, of assistance a person might seek out. Absolutely. Great question. Uh, First, I want to start by thanking you uh, for allowing me to be a part of this discussion today. Uh, Lasting change is at the heart of coaching, Mm -hmm. and so I'm really excited to be a part of this dialogue. In terms of life coaching, I think the best way to describe it is um, it's a positive strength-based approach to handling life. So we look a lot at life satisfaction, life improvement. Uh, A lot of us are aware of counseling or therapy that has a lot to do with maybe there's a therapeutic diagnosis of a mental illness. Maybe there's some type of trauma or uh, conflict. Uh, Life coaching, on the other hand, is not any form of treatment. It's really about um, producing positive change in one's life and capitalizing on one's strengths. Mm-hmm. Okay. So would it be appropriate then if we're going to talk about analogies to maybe physical health, it's more, I don't know, more trainer than physician. Like you don't, you go to a trainer to get better. Mm-hmm. You go to a physician because something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Is that is that in in line, sort of? There, there's definitely application there, and I think the thing I like about your analogy is, you know, in a therapeutic relation, there's a hierarchical relationship. The therapist mm-hmm. knows how to handle the problem and gives advice. Mm-hmm. And the difference with uh, coaching is it's a partnership. Right. It's not a hierarchy. We work together. We're joined together. There's a um, there's equality there okay. as opposed to the hierarchy. So that's Got a it. great analogy. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I'd, I'd like to hear from each of you just briefly, uh, you know, you currently, Asha, practicing, you, Heather, having done it in the past. What initially drew each of you to to the field of, of life coaching? It's, it's not hard for me to imagine the attraction of the field and just the opportunity to invest in people in that way. But I'd be curious just to hear from hear from each of you briefly kind of what, what drew you that direction. Um, Heather, why don't we start with you and then we'll, we'll go to you, Asha. Yeah, I think I've I've always just enjoyed seeing people grow. <laughs> Honestly, change fascinates me, and um, I'm one of those people that gets sappy at all of those movies. <laughs> you know, the transformation story. You know, the 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 down and out person who was hurt, and then in the end, they you know overcome that <laughs> obstacle and win the marathon. You know, I mean, I'm sobbing at the end of it oh, because yeah. I just love. Seeing and helping people grow, honestly, Mm -hmm. that was my attraction to the industry. Yeah, that's great. How about you, Asha? Well, for me, you know, my background is in psychology and sociology. And when I originally went to school, my desire was to become a therapist. And I decided to switch gears and go into the teaching route. That's what I did before I became a life coach. And I did that mainly because I realized for me personally diagnosis and disorder wasn't where my strengths 
lied. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward a decade after I had my kids, you know, my kids are in school now. I wanted to focus on my career. Mm -hmm. I came to this kind of big question where I thought, well, what do I want to do? What I, what do I, what am I passionate about? And when I asked myself that question, um, helping people, kind of that counseling component is what immediately came to mind. But I wanted a better fit for me. And coaching was exactly that because it's positive. It mm-hmm. is strength-based. You're capitalizing on things that are working for you. Yeah. Um, and so it, it aligned better with who I am. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I would imagine that process of, of discovery, because I, I, would, I would imagine both of you have, have had clients or situations where people don't really know what their strengths are. Mm-hmm. And there's oh, yeah. that sense of guiding someone in that process of, of figuring out. That's mm. got to be pretty exciting. Oh, it, yeah. there's no greater... <laughs> Uh, For me, there's no greater gift, and I know Heather probably feels the same way, to be a part of someone's, you know, growth and development. I mean, it it feels like the best thing ever. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that aha moment. You just can't replicate it. And and Uh seeing, I mean, just even for ourselves when we have insight that changes us, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a powerful thing to be a part of. You know, insight, it's really hard to quantify the role that insight plays in, mm-hmm. in in all of what we do. Oh yeah, no, oh, I, I I would imagine that's uh, no, that's really interesting. Now, we're talking today about change. Uh, obviously, that is a big part of what each of you <laughs> each of mm-hmm. you do, and just helping people in that process of of creating real change. It's New Year's, New Year's resolutions, fresh starts, whatever you know. Some people love New Year's resolutions. Some people think they're horrible. I've sort of gone back and forth <laughs> in my own life, but I think most people would agree that wh- whether you you like to document your resolutions or not, the new year, I mean, it's a fresh start. It's an opportunity to think differently or just to take stock of your life and how things are going. Now, we're going to talk about, and we're going to hear from the two of you, just a lot of practical tools people can use to make lasting change. But before we get into that, I would love for each of us to be able to just maybe give an example. It can be serious. It can be silly, kind of whatever of maybe a time in your life where you've sought to make change personally, a time maybe where you've had some success and then a time where you've had uh, maybe less success or some, (laughs) some failure. And then more importantly, I think, what did you learn from, from how you change uh, from those experiences? So uh, Asha, why don't we start with, uh, start with you? Okay. Well, when I think about um, change there, the first thing that comes to my mind is how I delineate change. Change, I process it as behavior modification, or it can be change in terms of soul transformation. So there's kind of two ways I look at that. Hmm. And in terms of some of the successes I've um, experienced, I will divulge that I recently learned how to swim And that was something that I never learned as a child, but it was always on my bucket list. I wanted to learn to swim. Uh And so for me, it didn't matter how long it took. I just wanted to be able to to achieve that goal. And so for me, I took the steps to make that change, to learn to swim. Um, In terms of soul transformation, though, one of the successes, um, when I think about it, you know, practically speaking, my devotional time is just my favorite time of day. But when I really think about soul transformation, I have to say that one of the key ingredients was pain and suffering. And I'm sure Mm. we'll probably get into that in a little bit. But that for me has been something that has really caused growth and change for me. So just to, to, to clarify that a little bit, it, are you saying it was situations where the pain of a particular moment or a, the pain or suffering involved in a particular, uh, just, I don't know, way that your life was going for lack mm-hmm. of a, mm-hmm. lack of a, you know, proper term for it, that that sort of created the incentive, created the incentive where you just realized, okay, this is, this is not working. Something's got to change. Mm-hmm. And that was motivating. It was motivating. And it was also one of those things that God was doing in and through me, and mm-hmm. I could kick and scream, or I could let it happen. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it, it's usually through the trial that I become more of who what God mm-hmm. wants me to be. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Heather, how about you? So maybe a specific example or two of yeah. positive or negative success in change. Yeah, I, I I would probably say every diet I ever tried. 
<laughs> would be a negative um, example yeah. uh, of, of lasting change. More just because, uh, yeah, I, I think I've, I feel like I've tried them all, <laughs> looking for that quick fix, <laughs> right. you know. Um, yeah. And I've learned a lot actually um, about trying a lot of the fad diets. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned that fad diets don't work for me, mm-hmm. um, and and I've really learned that. Um, eliminating, totally eliminating things in my life does not work for me. Uh, that just taking something away without replacing it somehow mm-hmm. with something else um, is just not sustainable. <laughs> uh, you know, I, literally, I, my husband and I joke, we feel like we've tried, I mean, we've tried every fad diet that's out there. But mm-hmm. um, so I stopped that after a while. I was, we were we were all together, my wife and then me and you and your husband recently. I saw you guys eating your burgers without buns. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, which that was a health choice, which yeah. we could talk about later. But um, but I think when I think about lasting, you know, transformational change, uh, I, I, I've got several examples, but I, I think one that really comes to mind is, uh, is, my, is my parenting. Um, hmm. I feel like... Pretty pretty early on in when my first son, my only son, <laughs> was born, uh, I just knew I didn't have – I didn't like the parent that I was, hmm. um, that I was easily provoked. Uh, I felt out of control. I – um, even when my, when I had my second and my third, I just, I felt like I lost my temper all the time. I just didn't like who I was mm. as a parent. Um, and I didn't know how to change it. I just, I felt helpless. Um, yeah. And just really out of control, uh, especially around my temper. I just felt mm. like my kids got the best of me more often than I really cared for and, and that I was embarrassed by mm-hmm. um, because I'm a pretty even tempered person. So, I mean, the fact that my kids could provoke yeah. me. Funny was, how our kids bring that out of yeah, us, right? Yeah. You know, anyway, so needless to say, I, I didn't like who I was as a parent. And I, I really, um, I would say it's a mixture of both uh, purposeful, intentional uh, pursuing change and just surrendering to, to the grace that God wanted to give me mm-hmm. as well. So the first thing I did was um, I, I took a parenting class. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of humbling because you're like, okay, I've got three kids and I'm really admitting to the world that I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and you walk into a class and, and honestly, there were some court mandated, mandated people in the class with me, you know, and I was there by choice, uh, be admitting that I was an awful parent. Uh, and so, uh, but not being too hard on yourself at all. Right? No, well, <laughs> you come to that point of desperation yeah. and I wanted to make a change. So I started sure. by taking a, a parenting class. I started reading books and, and really saying, I don't want to be the parent I am now. I want to be a different type of parent. Um, and I really, you know, it was that professional support. It was kind of the purposeful, intentional, uh, activities, uh, surrounding it. Um, I, I got so uh, I got a, a lot of practice, you know, a lot of having to really change my thinking on mm-hmm. things. Um, I remember a really powerful phrase that I still think about now in my parenting is that mm-hmm. I am the only one that I have control over, mm-hmm. right? That yeah, that I was really trying to control my children when what I needed to do was control myself, and mm-hmm. and that was transformational. It, both insight and mm-hmm. change that put me on a different trajectory. Um, and I like the parent I am now, mm-hmm. you know, that I really see a difference over the last 15 years yeah. um, in, in who I've become yeah. both on my own effort and God's grace. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic. There's so many, I feel like I have like 18 follow-up questions that I want to <laughs> ask based on that. Cause I just think that's so interesting. But even, I mean, you and I, Heather, were having a hallway conversation a while ago, just about the idea of personal agency and, and the effect and the, the, the role of that in change of just even the kind of con- from hearing your story, just that sense of, okay, the only one I can control is me. And at the end of the day, like I have some personal agency in this situation. I have some control like, oh, this is happening because of my kids are such and such and such. Well, okay. Yeah. Things are happening because of your kids, but no, the things you're doing are happening because you're doing them. Yeah. (laughs) And that's sort of a humbling realization, but it's empowering too, to realize I get so angry because my kids, it's like, okay, well, no one's disputing that your kids are difficult, but you have some control in this situation. And when you can learn to, you know, develop some strategies to kind of leverage that control, it's empowering, right? 
Yeah. You know, I think this is a a key component uh, in this conversation when we talk about change and transformation is recognizing that at the end of the day, all you really have control over is what you're doing. Uh, There is a quote by a... um, I don't know if you've heard Viktor Frankl. He's a Holocaust survivor and psychoanalyst. And he says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And Mm, that's something that is powerful and resonates with me because as we've probably all have experienced, um, there are so many things outside of our control and outside of what we can do. Mm -hmm. And yet at the end of the day, if we could recognize that that's not our priority, our priority is us, what meaning and purpose we're attaching to it, what we are able to do, that's what we should focus our energy on. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's that's fantastic. So um, not going to let myself off the hook here. I'll share some examples of of my own limited (laughs) success and repeated failures in making change. One, one, um, one example that that comes to mind that is kind of ridiculous is so I am I am chronically a night owl. I stay up too late all the time, rarely for any good reason. <laughs> and part of that is I have a hard time falling asleep at night. But again, part of it is just you know I'll on a good night read too late. On a less good night, you know, be scrolling Instagram or whatever, doing something I don't need to be doing. And I remember uh, maybe a year and a half ago, I said, okay, I'm going to get get control over this. I'm going to, you know, okay, no screens after nine o'clock and I'm going to start winding down and all of this. I'm going to be in bed by 10 so I can get up early and feel (laughs) refreshed and all of this stuff. And the funny thing is it worked for like three days and I actually, did. I felt great in the morning. I didn't, I wake up, I mean, these days, I mean, 10 days out of 10, I am waking up mad at myself for being tired. And I felt great for, for those couple of days. Uh, and then I just stopped doing it. <laughs> I just reverted straight back to my, uh, you know. On my devices too late, staying up later than I needed to. And oftentimes, like, my wife would go to bed early. There's, like, no reason. Nobody's wanting to talk with me. or st- I could easily go to bed. I just don't do it. So, mm. um, and it's funny, you know, I mean, it's a silly example as opposed to many serious examples of, you know, you talk about pain being a motivator for change. What I learned for myself in that moment was just the pain, as much as I hate waking up in the morning, <laughs> the pain was not great enough to, right to you know, promote, uh, to promote real change. So, uh, so that was that. And then another thing though, talking about success, here's what I've, what I've learned about myself is that I need like incremental change doesn't really work for me. I need to make wholesale change, but without strict parameters. So Mm -hmm. that, that seems like a contradiction, but, but here's what I mean by that. So the first like three times I tried to read through the Bible in a year, it didn't work. Like everyone else, I got to Leviticus at the end of January and sort of that was the end of that. So then my fourth attempt, this was, I don't know, sometime in college, I said, I want to read through the Bible in a year, but I'm not going to stick to a schedule. I'm just going to try to read the Bible. And I got through it in like seven months and it, and it was great. There was no guilt. If I missed a day, I just missed a day. And yeah. that was that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then similarly with my own, uh, my own diet, which has the healthfulness of my diet has fluctuated wildly over the last five years. But on my 30th birthday, I said, okay, for my 30th birthday in August to the end of the year, I was going to be a vegetarian. It wasn't just, I was going to be a vegetarian. Sometimes it was like, nope, this is like a little bit does not work for me. So I just said, I'm just going to try that. And then that'll be that. Well, I ended up getting used to it and I liked it enough that I've just stuck with it. It's been now over five years. And I have moments where I think, why am I even doing this? Like, I, you know, maybe I should just go back to eating meat occasionally. Meat is delicious after all. Everyone else in my family eats it and all this other stuff. But I just know myself that I either have to be okay with reverting back to how I once was, which is fine. I didn't, there wasn't a lot of pain motivating that change. It was more just, can I do this? Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to either be okay with reverting back to that or I need to stick with what I'm doing because the intermediate doesn't work. I need to just remove options. You know, Mm. similarly, I have a huge sweet tooth and managed to avoid sweets for like six months last year where I just said, nope, never, not, not occasionally, never. Now that didn't last (laughs) back to eating Skittles more than an adult should. But anyway, I just, those are some interesting things I kind of learned about, learned about myself. So, yeah, uh, I think that's huge because 
I think those are two like polar opposites. You know what I mean? It's right. like for me, it, I'm the opposite of you, right? That I have to have small incremental change. And when I kind of do the all or nothing approach, it just doesn't work for me. Um, it, and for you to know that small incremental change doesn't work for you, you got to do the all or nothing approach. I mean, I think it's just... I think so often the New Year's resolutions don't work because mm-hmm. we haven't figured out we're trying to do somebody else's approach. Hmm. Um, yeah. I, I really think that that's hugely key in lasting change is figuring out what works for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And just to add on to that, I, I couldn't agree more because I think at the heart of talking about change and sustainable change is finding what works for you and knowing yourself, mm-hmm. kind of like that awareness we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I tell my clients a lot is you don't want to fight with yourself. When you fight with mm-hmm. yourself about making change, it's not sustainable. It will only go so far. You want to work with your strengths. Um, and so knowing your strengths, knowing how you operate is really important. Um, I'll give you an example. My my husband, Rob, recently ran a, a half marathon. That was a wow, goal for great. him last year. And so he went from not running at all or exercising to running the half marathon, and he did great. Well, he ended up loving running so much that he said, Asha, I want you to join me. Come run with me. Come run with me. And, and, How about not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I... Love the idea of being with him, but I told him, I said, honey, it just won't work for me. If if I end up running with you, I'll start hating exercise. Mm-hmm. And for me, exercise is an outlet for me. I love yeah. doing it. And so mm-hmm. I have to work with what works for me right. or else it becomes something that I dread. Yeah. No, that's good. Now, I think you just said something that was really interesting to me. You talk about how you can't fight with yourself if you're going to make change. I think that's a really powerful idea. So my question is, how do I know I'm fighting with myself as opposed to, oh, this is just a situation that requires some discipline or I need to kind of, you know, break through a wall or kind of maintain a schedule to establish a habit or like, what's the, where is, is, I mean, is there even a line, I guess, first of all, and Mm -hmm. where's the line between just using the discipline necessary to create change and fighting with myself in a way that's really unsustainable? Well, there's a lot of things um, that I would, if, if a client came to me and asked me, how can I incorporate change into my life and especially do things without kind of that that tension of it just feels like so much work mm-hmm. as opposed to wanting to do it. Um, I think awareness is key, knowing yourself. And um, the, the more you know yourself, the more you know what works for you and doesn't. And mm-hmm. so things like knowing what your core values are, that is incredibly helpful in knowing what works for you versus what doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing what your needs versus wants are. Again, huge in terms of, you know, a lot of times we feel uh, disconnect or tension in our lives because there's an unmet need. Mm-hmm. And again, we stop fighting with ourselves when we recognize, oh, the reason I feel that tension is because that's a need that's not being met. Hmm. So again, it's kind of this self-exploration. The, the more you know yourself, the more you come to terms with what works and what doesn't. Huh. Okay. Um, anything to add to that, Heather? Yeah. I mean, I think I have a couple a couple thoughts. I mean, I, th- I think some, some comes down, I know for, for me and a lot of times for my kids, it comes down to some comes down to expectations. I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to right. say. Um, <laughs> that I I know a key thing for me, something with my personality, is I just always expect things to be easier than they actually are. Like mm. I just kind of have that Pollyannic, you know, yeah, sure, I'll be able to run a 5K in a month or two if I just put my mind to it. Uh-huh. You know, so I think some is adjusting our expectations that change is hard, that change takes work. It takes purpose. It takes time Mm -hmm. much often longer than we ever think necessary, uh, to have lasting change. So some I think is, is having the right, um, the appropriate expectations. Um, and then I, I also think that, yeah, you kind of touched on that, that values clash. I think, 
sometimes the it's not working because we're focusing on the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I think about uh, similarly, my husband decided he wanted to do um, an Ironman. And so he spent, he and a friend spent like a, I think like a year training to do a mm-hmm. half Ironman and, and they succeeded and he had a great time. Um, but in the long run, he decided that it, although it was, really cool and great for his health, it it clashed with his value of spending time with his family, mm-hmm. that it, it took mm-hmm. him away from the home quite a bit in that year of training. And he said, my time with my family is more important than being at that level of physical fitness. Mm-hmm. And so he had to, it's almost like you have to calibrate that sometimes the thing we're working so hard to do feels a lot like work because maybe it's not the right mm. use of the time. Yeah. Um, I think when we're really convinced that it's worth it or we're doing it for the right reasons that, you know, uh, the why is right, yeah. then it doesn't – it still feels like work, but it's going to be a different type of work because you know that the end justifies the means. Yeah. I wonder how often uh, we might go into change or go into a process of wanting change or maybe setting a goal – Without maybe doing that work of yeah. of assessing how is this going to affect the rest of my life, yes. essentially. I think the Ironman example is perfect in that, um, do you want to get in shape? Do you want to do this race that, that very few people can say they've done? Do you want to achieve this this result, which is phenomenal? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, in isolation, it sounds great. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you start to realize, oh, you need to, you know, it's going to affect Everything. I've never done a half Ironman. I've won, run one marathon, and it's just incredible to me how in the month or two or three or four leading up to it, you're constantly thinking about running, whether mm-hmm. you're running or not. You're yeah. thinking, mm-hmm. how are my knees feeling? How are my ankle feeling? And mm-hmm. this and that. And 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 I wonder if 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 a lot of us. And I'd be curious to know, Asha, if you see this in your practice, if if we get we we have a hard time with change because we kind of get blindsided by the reality that change doesn't happen in isolation. It has to function Mm -hmm. in the capacity of the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, you know, the thing that, that, you know, when Heather talked about with the Iron Man and her husband, I think one of the reasons why maybe, you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that Dave eventually decided not to do that is because probably one of his core values is family time. Yeah. And so I think when we recognize what those values are when we recognize that I think that's when we can make uh, um, what's the what am I trying to say I think that's an easier way for us to make decisions about change because mm-hmm. is it is this change it might be good for one area of my life like health and fitness but then impacts other areas yeah yeah and I think that there's an awareness of our capacity um you know I know that's something I talked a lot when I was seeing clients one-on-one is that, you know, what is your capacity right now? What, uh, another coaching term is margin. You know, it's like, where mm. do you have, do you have the space in your life to add this new element in or to take this element out? What's going to be the domino effect to the other areas? I think um, that we do, we think we're going to try to make this change in isolation when really nothing we do is in isolation. Right. Mm. Um, and, and so, we don't think through all of the effects that that change is going to have. Um, and then when we really do, we might go, oh, well, maybe that's not really where I want to put all my effort and mm-hmm. energy at this moment. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I come down to that a lot around um, my diet and my exercise that, right. yeah, my health is important, but I have a lot of really important things <laughs> that I feel like God has asked me to, to prioritize. And so yeah. it's always going to take a different place in the grander scheme of my life um, because of all the other things I feel like God has called me to do. Right. Sustainability. Stewardship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a good word for yeah. it. Sustainability, stewardship requires some measure of equilibrium. Right? Yes. And we kind of have to accept that, mm, that, yeah. that none of us, I mean, there's a reason why the best people at everything are completely out of balance. Yes. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Michael Jordan, not known as a great family man. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like these are like balance. Uh, I mean, greatness in a lot of areas comes at, an extraordinary cost yeah. in in others, whereas positive, realistic change can can move us in the right direction in one area of our lives without completely sacrificing 
mm-hmm. everything, everything else, else right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think often it, that, and I'm not trying to, you know, kind of stereotype male, female, but, but I think often women mm-hmm. need to understand their capacity mm-hmm. um, for what and how much they can change in, in, I don't know. I just think, you know, there's this illusion that we can just sort of balance it all. Um, Not that men don't try to do that also, but I think it's a particular challenge for women to feel like they need to do it all or have it all. And and I think that the more you're managing aging parents, children, you know, spousal relationships, deep Mm -hmm. friendships, you know, that we have a limited capacity and we have limited willpower. We have limited energy. We're limited people. And that there's, there's a measure of grace and a measure of permission that, um, that comes that alleviates the guilt and the, Oh, I should, I should be this. I should be that. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I'm, I'm working on the areas and I'm surrendering to, to God's will for my life in the places that he's calling me to. And I'm releasing seen all those other shoulds that he's not calling me to, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't have to do everything. I just have to do the one or two things that God's calling me to change at the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. Why why do you think, and and either of you could answer this, why do you feel like that is a particular challenge for, for women? Because I think you're right about that. And and like you said, not that men don't deal with it in their own way, but but I think you're right about that in, in my own conversations with, with my wife, with other, you know, uh, female colleagues, women who I'm friends with and all that. It does seem to be kind of a unique challenge. I mean, is there something I, I, as a man, obviously don't understand that entirely. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why this is a particular challenge for women? Do you have an idea? Well, the first thoughts that come to my <laughs> mind are, I mean, that's a big question, yeah. sure. but the first thing that comes to my mind is I think that we're, by nature, God created us, uh, women in particular, as approval-seeking beings. Hmm. We That is a natural tendency for women to have, but I think what we need to focus on is that approval needs to be found in Him, not in others. So where our nature is kind of, you know, sets us up for this idea of we that that's just who we are, how we're designed. It's not a bad thing. It's just that we need to find that approval and identity in him. It's just where do you want to find that approval? Mm-hmm. I think about the the idea of of working from approval as opposed to working for approval, mm-hmm. right? That we, uh, mm. our sense of approval from God is not licensed to say be lazy, of course, but it there's freedom in that, that I'm not pursuing the different roles in my life, yeah. whatever they are, and personally or professionally, I'm not out there grasping. I think Paul David Tripp has this quote. He talks about, we, we don't want to seek horizontally what we've already been given vertically. Mm. And when when we can receive what God has to give to us, we don't, we're not constantly paranoid about the sense of approval or disapproval we have from others. It's sort of like, okay, you can, you know, you can do what you do. <laughs> like I know mm-hmm. where I get my sense of approval, yeah. which is, you know, like that's, that's, I don't feel like that's a decision you make once, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make that oh, decision yeah. daily, if not Absolutely. hourly, right? Yeah. 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 And, and you touch on what is, what is our core motivation for change? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it because I, I need to appear better <laughs> so that I'm more well-liked or, you know, that I, so I, I'm getting my identity from this thing I'm accomplishing versus I'm being changed into the image of Christ because I'm already loved. You yeah. know, I, I know for me, a, a scripture I come back to a lot is, you know, for Christ's love compels me. You know, mm, it's like I'm yeah. compelled to be different. <laughs> yeah. I'm compelled mm-hmm. to change because he loves me, yep. not because I need to be loved. Yeah. Amen. No, that's mm. good. Now, um, I want to shift gears a little bit and and talk about the idea of of expectations. It's been mentioned a little bit already. Um, our world is so funny, and and this has been the case for a long period of time. But with with social media and our, our heightened connectivity, it's 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 more true now than than ever. And that is that. When people make change, we tend to see the results, not the process. Um, we see, um, 
to take it to give different examples, you you go to the theater and see an amazing singer, and you see the process, you see the the result. You don't see the hours and hours and hours and hours of painstaking practice to get the song just right. Mm-hmm. I'm a sports fan. I go to a game and I see teams execute plays. I don't see them run the play a thousand times in practice and get it wrong most of the time. We see the pictures online of people who have lost weight or people who have achieved a degree or you know whatever, but they're not. Uh, they're not live streaming their hours of study yeah. <laughs> or, you know, they're, here I am working out again, you know. So we see the result without seeing the process. And to me, it seems like that kind of throws our expectations for a loop a little bit that we think, oh, well, well, change must be easy. I'd be curious to know, Asha, is this something that you see in your practice where perhaps people come in with maybe unrealistic expectations in terms of the um, – the scope of change they're able to make, and then in terms of how difficult that change is going to be. Mm-hmm. And if so, or, or just how in general, can we calibrate expectations properly mm-hmm. so that we're not totally discouraged mm-hmm. when we try to make try to make change? Absolutely. I mean, expectations, I mean, what what you're what you're ultimately talking about is just, you know, when we see the process unfolding for someone else, it just seems so easy and so effortless. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, kind of the grass is so green and how do they do it? It's amazing. And I think if we can all, every single human being, recognize that change is hard for everyone, mm-hmm. um, you know what what you struggle with may not be my struggle, but I have another one. Sure, you know, and every single person on earth has that. And I think if we recognize the fact that, you know, we uh, we're human. You know, I mean, the reason why change is hard is because we're human. That's the reason we're human. Um, we live within skin. It's hard. It. It's normal, and I think recognizing that truth is really at the foundation of understanding change and allowing change to unfold in your own life as well as in other people's lives. So as a as a coach, you know, I help clients through that, but in my own life, I recognize that personally because mm-hmm. there are changes that I'd like to make. And it doesn't happen overnight. And yeah. if it did happen overnight, what what I always tell my clients is, if if it was that easy, we'd all be living the life we want. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, no, that's absolutely true. If yeah. change was easy, everyone would do it. We'd all read every book, climb every mountain. Yeah. And I think we all want that. We all want the end result. We don't necessarily want the trial or the adversity that it mm-hmm. takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's. That's true for myself. Yeah. Now, as we are getting into just kind of practical, yeah. okay, how do I, let's get kind of nuts and bolts, meat and potatoes. How do I make change happen? Now, we've talked about a number of different issues so far, but um, what what is some practical advice that you can give to somebody who's saying, okay, I have my 12-year streak of failing at my New Year's resolutions by January 10th. This is the year we break the streak. <laughs> you know, what advice do you have for someone who really wants to to make some some lasting change? I think probably the first the first thing I would say is um, what where have you where have you been successful? Hmm. Let's let's unpack that. Um, what did it take to 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 get to that end result that you wanted? You know, so so again, going back to that, what did you do before that worked, and how can we replicate that in this year's New Year's resolution? Um, so trying to to figure out if the resolution that they're setting is the is going to set them up for success. Mm-hmm. That would be a kind of a step one. Okay, mm-hmm. Asha, how about you? Well, I'm sure Heather felt the same way. Your mind is flooded with a million different tools and (laughs) strategies. I mean, as a coach, there's so many things in terms of building a support system, accountability, small steps, realistic goals, um, you know, your core values, life purpose. I mean, there's just countless ways you can tackle change. Mm -hmm. But one thing I think would be a good first step is taking an honest inventory of your life and where you're at now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Really looking at your life in terms of your, you know, er every area, your finances, your marriage, your spiritual development, your health and fitness, and really being able to take inventory and see where am I at right now? Mm -hmm. How am I doing in each of these areas? 
you know, we we always look at the end goal and that's kind of where we want to be. But the only way you can get there is to first know where you're at for, you mm-hmm. know, your starting place. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a good kind of first step. Yeah. I think reflection is the sort of the, the unused muscle of hmm. change that mm-hmm. um, that I, I just think it's a little bit of a, of a lost art today, too, that um, – we we can't get to where we're going unless we know where we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the 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 role of reflection in yeah. change cannot be understated, uh, both in the in knowing where to start and in knowing when to celebrate the process. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. kind of pausing long enough to go, "Wow, I am different than I was a year ago," and. Praise the Lord, yeah. <laughs> you know that I, that I'm I'm involved in that process. Yeah. Uh, it requires reflection. It requires purposeful mm-hmm. reflection. It can't be done in the ten minute drive to the office. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it needs to be longer than that to to declutter and, and slow down and and really say, God, where are you changing me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where where am I different? Mm-hmm. Where have you shown up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. How do we take the fear out of that process? You talk about an honest inventory. You talk about reflection. I love what you said, Heather, about just taking time to notice and celebrate progress. I think my own personality is I'm so constantly focused on how can things get better that I tend to not do that probably as much as I should. Um, But I know for a lot of people, you start saying to them, let's take an honest look at your life. And that is terrifying (laughs) how particularly from a christian worldview but just how in general how can we take the fear out of that process of reflection and and honest inventory i mean the first thing that comes to my mind is prayer um Mm. i you know as a life coach there are so many things so many strategies so many assessments so many tools that i can use with clients to help them to get to where they want to be. But at the end of the day, it is a spiritual process of becoming who God created us to be. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading something, um, I think it was by Ann Voskamp. She says, um, purposing to change happens when prayer meets perseverance. And I love Mm -hmm. that because perseverance is one of those things that is involved in every aspect of change. But it really comes down to prayer. You know, Matthew Mm -hmm. says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And I think, you know, it seems really simplistic, but honestly, it's always the simple things that work the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, too, it's that... You know, the the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. You know, I think I can approach I can approach an honest assessment at my life because I know that I'm loved. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can be honest with myself because I know that I'm in process mm-hmm. and that I'm not where I was and I'm not where I'm gonna be. Yeah. And so I don't have to be afraid of uh, of what what might be revealed if right. I do pause and and process. I can be um remorseful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can be, you know, sad yeah. um, at, at the state of, of my character or of my behavior, um, but I'm not stuck there. I don't have to be afraid of it because one, I'm loved for all of who I am. Um, and, and I'm, I'm changing. I have the potential for change and growth. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that I can enter into that with a posture of being loved and feeling loved and that I'm, I'm, I'm worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. right. I, I am, I'm workable, Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it helps me be less fearful. It's yeah. kind of that, you know, I'm not going to take myself so seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's, I'm going to grow from them. You know, I, I've always wanted to do it. I've never done it. You know, I, I seriously, one of these days I'm going to throw one of my kids a failure party because, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, let's not just rejoice in the things that go well. Let's rejoice in the things that we, we failed at and learned from mm-hmm. because that's, we all say it, it's cliche, but that's where our learning and growth happens. Yeah. Um, is in, you know, what do they say? 10, we learn 10 times more from failure than from, than from success. Yeah. Well, and the ability to accept failure while knowing it doesn't define you yes. 
is huge. And and to me, that that comes so much down to an issue of identity at the yes. end of the day. Yes. Is that if my identity is in Christ, that creates safety to admit failure. And because listen, who who is who is hurt the most by my own de- my own uh, denial of my shortcomings? Yeah. Uh, at the, you know, people I work with uh, certainly will be my kids, my wife, all that. But at the end of the day, the person that hurts most is me. So, so me living in denial of what, of just junk in my heart of different shortcomings, it really hurts me. But now if I am defining myself as well, my identity is found in my ability as a husband or as a father or a soccer coach or a pastor, you know, whatever. And I have to realize, oh my gosh, like there's a serious gap in my competency, (laughs) you know, which is a a conclusion I come to often. Um, That's devastating. Yeah. If I'm finding my identity in those yes. things. But if my identity is in Christ, is if my identity is I'm a child of God who who is looked upon and loved before I could ever lift a finger, yeah. mm-hmm. there is safety in that framework to admit that things aren't going well and to be okay with it. I mean, to go back to Heather, the example you gave a while ago, you talk about going to a parenting class. Every honest parent in the world can admit <laughs> to having struggles in parenting, right? Yeah. Every honest parent. And and I think about the courage required for that decision to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go get help. But how much better you are for it as opposed to how many parents suffer through the challenges of parenting, particularly young children and complain about it on Facebook and just sort of continue to suffer, but can't, cannot handle the fact that, okay, what I'm doing is hard. I need some help and I need to take practical steps to get that help because, because they feel like doing that would be admitting they're a failure, Yes, Mm -hmm. which it's not. It's just admitting you're human and you need help. So that sense of identity, that sense of a growth mindset, that sense of, this particular area of struggle does not define me. What yeah. defines me is who God says I am. So from that place, there's freedom to take practical steps to grow. Yeah. I mean, it, it opens the door to honesty that's impossible mm-hmm. without a sense of identity. I mean, would, yeah. would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's something that we use in coaching. It's called the wheel of life and mm-hmm. or the can't coaching mandala. I'm sure, Heather, you're mm-hmm. aware, uh, familiar with that. And it's when your life is set up at, you see it in a pie mm-hmm. and your life is delineated in different sections. You have finances, you have career, community, spiritual development. But at the center of that wheel of life is a little circle and it involves your 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 core values, your life purpose, your mission, your calling. And whenever you're thinking about change, really that's what you have to tackle, your Mm. identity, who you are. You're already worthy. You're Mm. already loved. You're already forgiven. Those, that's your starting point, you know? Um, And so I, I think that's, you know, an amazing observation and a, a huge, you know, point to make. It seems like it, it takes some of the paranoia out of it too. I mean, I, you guys have probably had this experience, but I, I've, I can think about even people I know personally or people I've encountered just over the course of my life who it just seems like they just don't have it in them to admit they make a mistake mm. or they just don't have it in them to admit I was wrong or I apologize or it could be from silly things or, or big things. My dad and I were just talking about this the other day with <laughs> kind of a mutual person we know. And it's just, it's almost like it kind of is irritating at first. <laughs> But then I get to the place where there's there's just almost compassion. Like that yeah. is that is such a difficult way to live your life, feeling like you can never take responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and to me, it just it it all comes back to it all comes back to identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so and I, I think that if I could speak for just a, a minute yeah, or two, and Asha can chime in about, I think that 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 core identity also plays out in our our inability to have lasting changes is, is all of that critical, you know, kind of critical thinking, critical self voice, um, you know, uh, the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in coaching, they call it kind of limiting beliefs, mm. you know, or assumed constraints. And I think that that's a really powerful insight as well is if you can figure out the place where your, um, 
where you might not be seeing the change that you want to see and you can uncover what am I saying to myself or what am I believing about myself that isn't true? Um, mm. It can be scriptural, right? It can be a, I'm, I'm not worthy or I'm not lovable or, um, or that my identity is found in my accomplishments, not in, in just who I am, warts and all. Um, but it, it can even be as simple as, um, you know, well, I don't have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, you, we all have the same amount of time, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's I'm not allocating the time yeah. to do that, you know, or I know for myself, uh, I'm, I used to identify myself as a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just a procrastinator. That's just the way it is. But that was a limiting belief. I'm not by nature, you know, I'm not uh-huh. a procrastinator. I might have some bad procrastinating habits, mm-hmm. but um, but it was limiting the way I saw myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so uncovering some of those assumed constraints or limiting beliefs also helps you figure out, no, I do have the ability to do this, you yeah. know, and and I can make change and I don't have to fear failure. And I don't know, there's some things yeah. there. Do you want to? Absolutely. I, I. It makes me think about how what we're fixing our mind yeah. on in terms of truth. You know, mm-hmm. we all have that internal dialogue or that that self-talk that goes on in our minds and it either um, fills us up or it drains us. And I think it really boils down to what are you putting in your mind? What are yeah. you, what truth are you focusing on? Things like I am forgiven, mm-hmm. I am loved, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. All of these things are things that will serve you well and and solidify your core identity as opposed to the many things that swirl around in our heads like I can't, I won't, I'm going to fail, I'm nervous, I'm, you yeah. know, et cetera, et cetera. And so yeah. I think it really points to how important it is to um, try to control that internal dialogue. Yeah. I mean, internal dialogue, I love that concept, assumed constraints. That is such a big deal. I mean, I think for for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure they can relate to this uh, this sense of, of sort of conscious or subconscious yeah. self-talk mm-hmm. or, or where we tend to focus and, and how that how that affects our ability or really hijacks and sabotages mm-hmm. our ability to to make real change. I mean, yeah. that's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. I mean, I hear from people all the time, well, I'm not a leader. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> not with that attitude, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's funny, even in ourselves, when yeah. we, st- when we create that awareness, we find, we see all of our own limiting beliefs and assumed mm-hmm. constraints that we're telling ourselves all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Now, uh, one, we, it's so interesting. I feel like in this conversation, there, there are a few different sides to healthy change. On the one hand, there needs to be a lot of grace. There needs to be a, like the sense, I mean, guilt doesn't really work. There needs to be not this kind of negative self-talk. We need to not just look at pictures online where we're only seeing people's results and not their process. And, and all of that stuff where we need to kind of take care of ourselves. <laughs> But there's another side of this as well, where we need to be uh, there. I mean, we've talked also about change is hard, like change requires some determination and some effort. And and if if you've been sitting on the couch for three months, you're just you're not running a marathon next week. Like, sorry, it's just not going to happen. But there is this sense in which stick-to-itiveness effort, all of that is required. And and specifically a a word that I've seen thrown around a bit, I think particularly I think Brene Brown talks about this and some others is this concept of grit. Um, <laughs> grit is kind of a big, a big deal in, in seems like a lot of the kind of the self-awareness psychology is cer- certainly on a popular level literature these days. Asha, talk to us a little bit about what is grit and what is its role in, in, um, in creating change? Well, uh, you're right. It is a hot topic right now. I'm constantly hearing about how grit is the key predictor of success and how important that is. And you talk about grit for those of you who, you know, aren't familiar with that terminology. It's basically referring to that stick-to-itiveness, that perseverance, that that ability to pick yourself up after mm-hmm. falling down. And I think that, you know, I know we want so badly to avoid hardship for ourselves as well as as parents. Mm-hmm. And yet it's through those hardships that you actually see the most growth. Mm-hmm. And I'll share a little um, example with you in terms of how 
I've seen grit really unfold in our own family. Mm -hmm. Um, Recently, my daughter, she's 12. She's in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. She is on the uh, basketball team at school. And she's a beginner, and the coach said because the eighth-grade team only had five players, he was going to choose some of the seventh-grade girls to play the eighth-grade games. Well, my daughter wasn't chosen, Mm -hmm. and her best friends were. And it was heartbreaking, and I was heartbreaking. I mean, I felt like it was happening to me. I was so sad. And to sit at that first game with her and watch her friends play, I mean, I— I just encouraged my daughter, honey, mm-hmm. this is this is part of it. This is how you grow. This is important. But then we talked to her about how important it is to control what you can. Yeah. And so we encouraged her, what what are things that you can do, you know? Mm-hmm. So she talked to her coach and she went up to him and she asked him, you know, coach, I'd really like to play on the 8th grade team games. What can I do to improve? Mm-hmm. And the coach was so um, taken aback, you know, so impressed by her courage that he said, you know, I really appreciate you asking me. This is what you can do. And mm-hmm. I really want you to be able to play the next eighth grade game. Mm-hmm. And through that whole experience, you know, I'm excited my daughter played the games. Mm-hmm. I'm excited she got to be a part of that experience. I'm a gra- glad that she's learning a new skill, learning teamwork. But what I'm most excited about is the grit that she developed. Because no matter what you go through in life, no matter what area of your life you're looking at on that, you know, coaching wheel of life or whatever facet of your life, it's grit that's really going to keep you going. Yeah. As you're sharing that story, the... You think about all the different ways your daughter could have responded to that situation. Mm -hmm. And, And you think about... I mean, the life lesson that was learned there was, I, I, to me, I mean, I just was kind of scribbling this down on my my notes in front of me. Just the sense of empowerment yeah. that here in, in a negative situation, that there that I am empowered to continue moving forward. I have a sense of personal agency. There are yeah. things that I can control, and I don't need to be completely derailed mm-hmm. by a setback. Because let's just, I mean, we all know this functionally, but we sort of forget it practically. Mm -hmm. And that is that like nothing we really want out of life is just handed to us. So our ability to show that grit in so many different arenas is vital to our our growth and lasting change. Yeah. And I think just it's that getting back up (laughs) and starting over. You know, I mean, my husband kind of jokes that. You know, in your forties, you kind of you're you're old enough <laughs> to know that really it, the the power comes not in starting something new, but in starting something again, yeah, and again, no, and good. again, mm-hmm. and again. You know, I mean, it's it's every exercise routine we've ever started. Right. You know, it lasts for a period of time, and then life happens. Yep. You get sick. You you know, the the kids have a gazillion things that they could do, and you just really have no space for you exercise. Realize you hate it. Yeah, <laughs> speaking you know. from personal experience. <laughs> And so then you start again. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I seriously over and over and over again, the same lesson. Here we go. No shame, no humiliation, but I'm going to do yeah. it again. Yeah. And what's the alternative? The alternative yeah. is wallowing in shame right. and humiliation, which. Why even try? Gets you nowhere. Yeah. Right? Right. It gets you absolutely nowhere. Totally. Now we're we're kind of we're closing in on the end here, but I have two more quick things I want to touch on before we do, just because I think there's there's some practical help here we can give our listeners with a few different things. Now we've we've touched on some topics like this already, but what are just briefly some maybe unhealthy or ineffective approaches to change? Are there things you've seen others attempt without much success? Maybe things you've seen in your own life, or just general principles that, from a life coaching perspective, you'd say, okay, if I hear a client using this language or, or describing this sense of motivation, that that's maybe a red flag for like, eh, maybe that's that's not a great approach to take. Uh, any, anything come to mind immediately, uh, Asha? I'm going to do better. <laughs> <laughs> Next year is going to be better. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know, just overgeneralizing. Yeah. I think that's a, a huge one. We're sort of protecting ourselves, fear of failure. If I don't actually name it, then mm-hmm. maybe I won't. Not succeed, you know, yeah. but but I think just even in general, overgeneralizing to the fact that there's nothing measurable. So, 
there's just no ability to have success or lasting change because you you haven't quantified anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I jumped in sort there. Of vague well, in general no, stuff. No, great. Yeah. You know, there are so many unhealthy and ineffective ways to to um, when you think about change. You know, so many things come to mind: improper planning, not making realistic goals, not finding alternative behaviors to replace yeah. alt, uh, unhealthy behaviors, not making your steps doable and achievable, um, following someone else's plan as opposed to your own plan, something mm-hmm. that works with you, which we kind of talked o- about in the beginning. Your starting point should be your strengths. You know, look to your strength, looks to what, look to what you desire, look to what resonates with you, mm-hmm. because again, you don't want to fight with yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, when the most healthy way of approaching change, when I think about it just kind of overall in general, is recognizing that change needs to happen from the inside out yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to the outside in. Yes, we want to approach behaviors. Yes, we want our finances to be better. Yes, we want to be physically fit. Yes, we want to, you know, um, be more involved in church community. All of those things are great um, and and worth pursuing. But at the end of the day, it's the that inner circle, mm-hmm. that inner your core identity, your yeah. values. Those are the things that that will make your change sustainable. Right. Now, I, okay, I, I don't know if this is easy to sort of just kind of do in the moment, but I, I love what you just said about we need change from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. I wonder if we can just, like, is there maybe an example we could give of whether it's say, I don't know, I want to you know become more financially healthy or, or physically, you know, whatever. Is there a way where you could maybe give us an example of, of what does it look like to approach change outside in? in a specific area versus what does it look like to approach change inside out? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, One way you could look at it is social media. I think most people identify with being on some form of social media. So, Mm -hmm. and we know some of the setbacks with that, right? We can have, you know, we know it's linked to depression. We Mm -hmm. know it, it can, you know, increase our, FOMO, fear of missing out, et cetera. (laughs) Um, But one thing from approaching behavior from the outside in is saying, okay, I'm going to limit my behavior or I'm going to limit my time on social media. So you put a timer on your phone or on the computer in your house and you say, I'm only going to do 10 or 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Great starting point, great behavior. But when you're looking at coaching from the inside out, You want to be able to isolate questions like, what is this behavior doing for me? What is social media filling for me? What um, is it allowing me to achieve or avoid? Hmm. What is it serving in my life? If we don't ask ourselves these types of questions when we're trying to produce change, we will end up replacing that one behavior with another unhealthy behavior Mm -hmm. because we have to... We have to know the why. We have yeah. to know that inner why. Yeah. And we have to get oh, to the great. question of not how do I, you know, limit my time on the internet, <laughs> but how do I change my heart response when I am on the internet? Mm. Right. Yeah. So that the internet doesn't have that power over me. Right. Um, is it going to be the way I view, you know, is it is it going to be a different lens that I'm viewing the things I'm seeing on social media? Is it... Is it going to be a, a heart change inside myself that yeah. I don't need to feel threatened by these other things? Just limiting the amount of time doesn't change my heart response yeah. to what I'm viewing. Yeah. We need to think through, A, why am I needing to limit? B, I, I, I would think there's a place also for what am I replacing it with? Yes. You know, like we're yeah. not just removing negative <laughs> stimuli, you know, yeah. by itself. But uh, I, I have a quick thought, too. Uh, yeah, so, please. I go mean, ahead. like. I think about one of the kind of spiritual disciplines I'm trying to work on right now is is prayer. And I feel like there's two different ways I could approach that. Um, you know, one is I could sort of regiment more prayer time in my life. And, and I will add pieces of that in 2018 because I feel like that's appropriate to have that level of discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, 
setting 15 minutes aside every morning to pray isn't going to help me grow. I mean, there will be benefits to that, but but right. the but the internal change in me is that I need to sense that God is inviting me mm-hmm. to go deeper in prayer, that there's something he has for me in that time beyond just a behavior change, right. but there's a heart change that he wants to do there too. There's an invitation, mm-hmm. yeah. um, not just a, I need to be more disciplined. So mm-hmm. that's uh, sort of doing both. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great example of of this sort of kind of discipline for discipline's yes. sake versus really recognizing the value in a particular practice yeah. and allowing that to be kind of the motivating factor. Um, so as we, as we wrap up, uh, Asha, you're going to be teaching a life mapping workshop soon. Uh, mm-hmm. when is that? I should know this, but I don't. <laughs> when is it? And, and tell our listeners about it in case it's something they want to, want to be involved in. Well, life mapping has become one of my passions. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the process. And for those of you who are not familiar with it, it is looking at your life as a whole, where you are now, where you've been, your strengths, your weaknesses, and being able to chart a path forward. Mm. We're going to be looking uh, specifically at a map um, called your peak experiences, which is a great way to start off the year in terms of kind of visualizing how you want your 2018 to be. And again, capitalizing on your strengths, capitalizing on what works for you, Mm -hmm. not fighting with yourself. And that workshop is going to be here at Bridgeway February 2nd around at 6.30. February 2nd at 6.30. And we don't I – can, I can say this much. I know we don't have information about it up on our events page yet, but we will very soon. And you'll be able to, able to register at bridgewaychristian.org forward slash events. And then, uh, Asha, if people want to find you, where do they find you online? I My website is uh, www.josephcatalystcoaching.com. I have my website there. You could submit a form and be able to connect with me that way. I'm also on Facebook under Joseph Catalyst Coaching as well. Joseph Catalyst Coaching. There it is. Okay. Well, Heather, thank you very much. Excellent job. Asha, thank you very much. This was a really interesting conversation. Thanks to those of you who listen and uh, just as again, want to end every episode by reminding you, we created this podcast to create conversation around issues that really matter in your life and in our culture. And if something in this resonated with you, want to encourage you to, to take the time to think through it, take the time to find someone else to process this information with. And ultimately, as we're talking about change, we hope that you were able to find some things you can take and apply uh, to create lasting change in your life. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode of Engaging culture. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.